Welcome to the All of Life podcast from Redemption Church Tempe, where we have conversations on faith, culture, theology, and beyond to help us live all of life, all for Jesus. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to the All of Life podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. My name is John Crawford, and I am excited for today's episode because I am here with a few of my friends, people that I deeply respect. I'm here with uh, one of the pastors, Ryan Arneson. Hey, hey. And his wife, Janet. Hello. And Shanae Fisker. Hey there. Hey, so today on our episode, we're going to be talking about family, but specifically uh, family as formative community. And when I say formative community, talking about um, the shaping power that family has on us. And if uh, all of us sitting around this table, if we're honest, when we even look at like family of origins, the ways in which our family has affected us, has shaped us, even a lot of people that have gone through counseling and psychology has shown like family of origin is a huge thing that whether we realize it or not, our families have shaped us and have formed us. And so we wanna have a conversation around family. Family is a gift from God. It's something that God has given us. It's a beautiful gift. It's a way in which we get to live out and display the beauty of the gospel. And so we wanna have a conversation uh, around this table today. And hopefully you all that are listening are gonna be blessed by this and encouraged by it. And so one of the things that I would love just to kick off a question, is when we look at God, we worship a God that loves community, that loves family. Um, God is community. He's been in community for all eternity in the Trinity. Um, And what we see is when he enacts his mission in the world, he's working through a family, Abraham's family. And so if we're going to really drill into family here uh, and really who God is, what does this tell us about the nature of God and how is that good news for us? What would you say, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely start by saying, um, including God, there is none of us that aren't already part of a family. Uh, it's the one thing that we all share in common is that uh, everybody that's ever going to be born and live on this earth is going to be part of a family. Whether or not that's a good family or your family situation is not so good, or somewhere in between, we we can all identify with what that means. So to think about what is, you know, what is God like and what are our families like, uh, I think there's no better opportunity than than to understand who God is than to think of it in the context of a family. Where else um, in the biblical story do we see uh, God kind of working through family? So we see it first with Abraham, um, but what what else would you guys say when we look at the biblical story? Yeah, I'd even say as you you look at Abraham and his descendants that God actually chooses an entire people hmm. and then makes them separate, gives them laws, makes them um, holy, set apart to be a blessing to other people. And I think choosing that people is actually a, an image of family. Yeah, and so God God um, chooses a, a family that then turns into a people, Israel, in order to work out his mission in the world, which means he's not choosing the, the Lone Ranger, right? Uh, he chooses Abraham, but he tells Abraham, hey, I'm blessing you 
because through your offspring, the world is going to be blessed. And what we see is that God works through a family, um, and then even uh, that family turns into the community of Israel. But then when we look at Jesus, we see, man, God in the flesh is born a mother and a father and mm-hmm. as a family. And so there's there's something in which God says, um, I'm choosing to work through families, mm-hmm. that that he values families. There's something there if when God puts on flesh, he also says, hey, I'm going to be a part of a part of a family. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think we see the importance of family in the Bible um, and that God loves to work through families. But one of the things that I think we have seen a lot of in this last season with COVID is, uh, man, COVID has been really difficult on a lot of people. It's been really difficult on a lot of families. Um, and uh, one of the things that, that we have heard a lot of is there are unique difficulties and strains that have come up during this last COVID season. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of those things that you guys have been seeing show up in people's lives, in their marriages, in their families? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just start by saying uh, some of even stating the obvious, like the level of busyness, the level of pace, the level of distraction that we, most of us live under on a day-to-day basis when it's all of a sudden removed and you have to face the people inside your own household and you've been avoiding conflict, you've been avoiding forms of communication, you've settled with uh, an hour of television or screen time or whatever to, to you know, pacify uh, the tension that we all feel inside. And all of a sudden, those things aren't working anymore and you have to face your spouse or your kids for hours and hours at a time. It, it tends to bring up a lot of stuff you haven't been willing to face so far. And what we've noticed is um, people don't really know each other as well as they think they know each other or as well as they want to know each other. Uh, but but I would even say the one thing that I've noticed that that is, is a more of an opportunistic shift is the shift in people's minds from uh, living in the kingdom of this world versus living in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of this world tells you uh, pace and busyness and um, distraction are the ways that you handle the internal struggles that you have or the relationships that you have. And, And that just doesn't work in the kingdom of God. And so I think it presented an opportunity to people to say, um, Maybe I'm living like the kingdom of this world is telling me to live. Mm. And I could actually start living like the kingdom of God tells me to live. Mm. I don't know if you guys would add anything to that. Yeah, I think it exposed along those same lines. It exposed um, for a lot of a lot of us where our community maybe wasn't necessarily our family as much as we thought it was. Mm. Our community is outside of our family. It's either at school or sports or our kids, friends, and when all of that's taken away, it could feel pretty traumatic for them to lose um, lose their community in mm-hmm. a sense. I think we have a lot of crutches and things that we, we depend on outside of our home to mm-hmm. fill those voids. And even we've, our kids have been a part of club soccer and we've, we've kind of processed it as we see, oh, this is like their church, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is their community. 
And when those things get taken away, I think it's, it's traumatic for kids, for parents, everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Janae, how about you? Yeah, I think uh, maybe on the other side is that you started to realize you actually don't have community mm-hmm. because you haven't invested in relationships outside of your family and you really didn't notice that you needed them, maybe until you were around your family all the time, <laughs> and you needed someone to talk to. And mm. then on top of that, the access mm. to those groups or those people outside of your family were just really limited. And so it felt really isolating. Yeah, yeah, I think, definitely. I think one of the things that that I've seen uh, with families specifically um, during COVID, it was almost like, a lot of people didn't know what to do with each other. Mm. Yeah. You know, because you get in such a rhythm and routine of busyness. Mm. What you were just mm-hmm. talking about, Ryan, where, you know, you're working, you got your social life, you got sports, you've got, you know, this, that, the other. Calend- most of our calendars were full. Yeah. And uh, when COVID hit, it unplugged everything and everything just shut down. But even after some stuff started to reopen and, and ramp up, back up, um, there's still like a, man, we don't know what to do with each other, you know, mm-hmm. because it's easy um, pre-COVID to kind of live separate lives. Yeah. And you're under the same roof, you know, you go your separate ways in the morning, you're gone the whole day, you come back, you kind of go to bed together and that's it. Um, and all of a sudden when everything gets shut down, all of a sudden you have to reorient your life and yourself. And you're like, wait, what do we do with each other? Yeah. Like, how do we communicate? How do we connect? You know, the number of even couples who don't have kids that uh, young marrieds that I was talking to, even a part of our church, they were just like, if you ask them, how do you connect? They can't answer the question, you know, because it's like, well, usually we're on our phones or watching TV or, but it's like COVID forced people to really say like, what do we do with each other? You know? And uh, that either led to really healthy, fruitful, life-giving things, or it was really hard for people. Um, And so that was one of the things that, that I've seen. Yeah, I, just to add to that, uh, what came up in many families, I know in our, in my family, and, and I, I don't mean just my immediate family, but my extended family, which um, some of them live here, some of them live out of town, is the understanding of how people process through fear and, and not just uh, a clear and present danger, hmm. but like the fear of the unknown people process through that really differently. And, and what we've noticed is people tend to get really, really frustrated with each other over how you deal with an unknown fear hmm. or an uneducated fear or, or a, a fear that shifts on a continuous basis. And some people think you should do it this way. And some people you think you should do it that way. And it, it can divide people and it can bring up past hurts that, uh, you've been wanting to say for a really long time and and now people were willing to get them out, mm. you know, and, and, yeah. and it makes families feel like what just happened to us here? I thought, I thought we were doing pretty good or I thought we were making it or I thought such and such, but it's really not that way. And it exposed some of that. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, uh, you guys did at our la- at our last parent gathering. I believe it was the last one. One one of the more recent parent gatherings was uh, talking about um, this idea that 
family is a formative community. Mm. Um, and specifically, um, that families can display the beauty of the gospel. And Jesus calls us in the Sermon on the Mount to be salt and light. And one of the things that you talked about was how families can actually be salt and light uh, in our current cultural moment um, where we find ourselves living. And so I would love to hear from you all. Um, how are some of the, wh- what are some ways, how are some uh, things that, that uh, we can do um, to really live out the beauty of the gospel in the context of a family? Hmm. Or what are some things that would be salt and light for families right now in our current cultural moment? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll start by saying, um, I think there's two concepts that we could talk about there. One is the culture at large. The other one is the, the, the culture that you create inside of your own family. And mm-hmm. so th- those are, um, those are ideally those should be the same, right? Yeah. In, in an ideal world, you would hope that, Hey, the family and the culture in my family and the f- culture out in the world are the same thing that just, it tends to make things easier, but that's not necessarily true in a lot of families nowadays where, you know, we just don't see it that same way. And so I think part of what we're talking about there is what does it look like to create a family culture? And then how does that family culture affect the world around you? I I remember uh, Jan and I helped start a church one time and one of the pastors there uh, his kid did something and he didn't like what he did. And he said, Hey, we're, I don't remember, I don't remember their last name, but we're Smiths. We don't do that. Hmm. And I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, like he, he basically said, I don't care what anybody else says in our family. We don't do those kind of things. Hmm. It affected me deeply because I thought, do I even think that intentionally? Like, hey, we're artisans. We don't do that yeah. type of a thing. And then what does it mean to be an artisan? You know, on and on from there. Um, yeah, I have something else to say right after that, but I'll, uh, I'll I, wait to hear what. I would love to hear even just like practically, Janet, for you guys, because mm. I really, Marika and I, uh, my wife Marika and I really respect you guys in the way that you guys have led your family. I think that you guys have have led with a lot of intentionality. I would love to hear even some of the things that you guys have intentionally tried to do to live out the beauty of the gospel in the Arneson family. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you yeah. for saying that. Yeah. Um, I think we we were pretty, we both come from, from divorced parents. So when we got married, we were pretty intentional of how do we want to raise our family? And of course that's, you know, changed and ebbed and morphed. But um, I was talking with our oldest this morning about that. And she said, Oh yeah, my friends all look at our family and, and, and are would want to be a part of it. They've said Mm. it. And so I was asking her and she said, well, we, we, played every night after dinner. Like I knew Mm. no one was on a screen. I mean, in that time we didn't, we couldn't really afford real TV. So we weren't watching TV. We didn't probably (laughs) even have, we didn't have iPhones back then. Netflix and iPhones. I know. And, um, and she actually said, she goes, I think we were better at this when we were younger than we are now, which was convicting. Mm. So, um, but we, yeah, 
But we played. We were always out on our bikes, she said, out front. And we, Ryan and I would go on walks together. We, I think we did, we tried to figure out what we love to do together and then bring our kids into that. Mm. And so that's shaped a little bit of, um, we, we loved ice cream and movies on Friday night. So I ended up getting Ryan a homemade ice cream maker for Father's Day. And that's yeah. a big thing. I mean, that's probably something we do several times a summer is we make different flavors of homemade ice cream and who's on it tonight and what would we need to get at the store? Mm. Because we're trying out, you know, Ethan's new idea or that's pancakes on Saturday morning of what new. And we Mm. went through phases of carrot cake, pancakes and red velvet pancakes. And so some of our, we like to cook together. So I think as we get talking about that cooking and baking and being Mm. creative of coming up with new things it's fun to see now Hannah, our 16-year-old, has her own little catering business that mm. has been really mm. fun to see how those little hobbies of things that we did. And as a mom, it's not easy to let your kid help you, quotation marks, cook because they're not a help, right, yeah. at all. Yeah. They're just totally in the way. And those were some of the intentional things that um, I, as a mom, definitely let them help me and make the big mess and let's learn how to clean it up together. And it's fun to see their, um, how that fleshes out hmm. in service and business and also serving together. We, I mean, we let in our sea for years in our home. We have a lot of families and people over. And so I can see how to them, they love our home. They love our family. They, they think it's a great place to be in hmm. general. Yeah. So trying to kind of have this the source of a big source of life in our home that they enjoy hospitality. Mm. And that's fun to see even as our oldest, Abby is she's the lead ambassador at her school now. And so you can see those gifts of um hospitality getting getting played out in her life. Yeah, one so you- Man, there's, there's so much goodness in what you just said, but a few things that I want to draw out. Um, when we are talking about f- the formative power of family um, and that family actually shapes and forms us. So a few things that I heard you say that I think are, are really, really powerful um, is with Hannah. So you guys cooking and a lot of time around, you know, food prep, eating, mm-hmm. And now that has shaped and formed her where she's doing her catering thing. Um, and your hospitality has now shaped and formed Abby in the way that she is being hospitable. And mm. so you start to see um, the power of family actually shapes your kids and the next generation. But one of the, one of the things that I, that I love about what you said is it seems like uh, you guys have been really intentional on the presence, not like giving mm-hmm. gifts presence, but on the presence of being with. And I think when we're talking about salt and light in our current cultural moment, um, there's a lot of uh, being physically present, but not actually being fully present mm-hmm. yeah. because of screens, because of, and, and how many parents are maybe even in the room um, or at the dinner table but they're not actually present because they're on a mm. screen. And, and just you guys, really what I would say, that that demonstrates the beauty of the gospel because we know mm. that God is God with us. Emmanuel is God with mm-hmm. us. And the power of presence that Jesus 
shows in the incarnation, I think you guys mm. have really embodied in your home. And and the crazy thing is, it's very simple things like playing mm-hmm. after dinner, going yeah. on a bike ride, cooking, but yet with intentionality over the long haul, how that shapes and forms your kids and how it has even shaped and formed you guys, you know? Yeah. And I was told something by my dad growing up that I, th- I think is extremely true, which is uh, your kids will not remember anything you tell them once. They'll remember what you tell them a thousand times, hmm. which goes for, they don't remember what you do with them once. They remember what you do with them a thousand mm-hmm. times, you yeah. know? And so um, even to add to what Janet said, the, the, a while back, I, I wrote a little paper for the sake of Redemption Tempe on how to create a family culture. And I, identif- mm. I identified five areas that we were extremely intentional on. Number one was our marriage. Number two was how we educate our kids. Number three was discipline. Number four was eating and sleeping. And number five was how we vacation. Those are five areas that we picked pretty early on to say, we're going to focus really, really heavily on those to shape and form uh, how our kids are going to go. And, you know, I won't go into much detail there, but, but in regards to our marriage is where it started because that's where our family started is in our marriage. And one of the decisions I made very early on was unity in our marriage is a really, really big deal to Mm. us. And, and, that sounds great on a giant level, but how does that play out into the most mundane and simplest thing? So I, I made one decision early on that I think is probably the best decision I've made in our entire marriage, which is I like to stay up later. Janet likes to go to bed earlier. And I just, we didn't start our days very often together because I tend to wake up a lot earlier. I don't, I'm, it's yeah. just the way that it worked. Uh, I go to bed at the same time, Janet goes to bed every single night so that we end our day together every single day at the same time. Mm. That, it sounds so insignificant, yeah. but that has probably kept me from a million thoughts or images yeah. uh, for the last 20 years, you know? Yeah. Jim Mullen says, uh, you know, uh, Nothing good happens after 10 p.m. Yeah, anyways, that's right? That's like the reality. Yeah. Yeah. I think he says something about like 95% of all sin is done after yes. 10 p.m. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I think, wi- I think there's wisdom in that, though. So true. Um, Shanae, I'd love to hear uh, just you and your husband, Ricky, are, are a younger family that, that I really respect. I think for being young parents, um, you guys have really been pressing into this vision of living out the beauty of the gospel in, in your family and your home. And I would, I would just love to hear, uh, how have you guys been, uh, pressing into that? Yeah. Um, you guys just shared so much stuff. One of the things I just wanted to know about you guys was that you really slowed down and you actually saw your family. Mm. We're going to be starting the person of Jesus study in our, in our redemption communities. And that's like something that Jesus does is he slows down enough to see them and then also to then reach out and change. And I feel like what you guys were sharing was just a really great image of that. And Mm so when you do that, you see the impact of the gospel and more salt and light. And so that was really great. Um, 
Yeah. So our daughter, Relly, will be two next month. Um, we have our second on the way in January. And one of the things that Ricky and I just really try to push into is our marriage. Um, we often say we do ministry together. We do college ministry. Um, but we often just say, like, we talk about everything, mm. everything together. Mm. And so um, if most of the time, if someone asks one of us a question, we can pretty much answer for the other person pretty clearly because we probably talked about it. <laughs> um, and I think that, that that's a really beautiful thing in our marriage. And uh, as we've done ministry with college students, they like are welcomed in and they see that and they learn how to do that. Um, and then the other thing for us is, is we just, we're talking about community, but we really seek out community from other people, from mentors, from peers. Mm. Um, and I think that is also a, a way that our family has really thrived because we're not just working in an isolated bubble. Like we're a community within ourselves between Ricky and I, and then we add Rally in there. And then we also are functioning in community with other people. And I, I really just believe that that's how God intended mm. us to flourish. Mm. Mm. That's good. Mm. So uh, there's this vision for families to display the beauty of the gospel. Um, but what we know is uh, that's not always the case. There's some barriers uh, that if we're just being honest in our own lives, uh, there are barriers that come up that really prevent us from displaying the beauty of the gospel in our marriages, in our families, in our mm. homes. And even if you're even if you're not married yet with your siblings, um, there's just barriers. But uh, I would love to for us to name some of those barriers uh, because for our listeners, for people that are a part of our church, I think we we all have the desire to say like, yeah, we we want to display the beauty of the gospel mm. in our family but yet it's not happening. And I think that uh, naming some of those barriers could be helpful um, mm -hmm. because this can also be uh, a real topic of pain for people of saying like, man, I want my family to display the beauty of the gospel, but it, it seems like there's far more brokenness than beauty. Mm -hmm. And so what are some of the things that you all have seen as barriers for people to display the beauty of the gospel within a family? Mm. Uh, I truly hope this one doesn't start to offend people because I feel like I might say a few things that, that could touch anybody, but, uh, I'll highlight myself at the end, but I think there's so much opportunity to worship other gods, other religions and form idols in our culture is it, it is at the highest level that I've been aware of the, the mm. access to that and, and the ability to make anything into a God is a, is a really um, just the concept of, of uh, you do you, you know, type of it, it, there's, there's some validity to that statement, but then there's also the sense that anybody thinks that I could form anything into the most important thing. So I think here are a list of some of those things that we've done uh, in our own lives and in culture, uh, education and school, uh, sports and activities, uh, too many options for kids to, 
for parents to put their kids into stuff. You do it's it, you get decision fatigue because you can read Instagram or Facebook mm. or something like that and go, mm-hmm. I'm not doing that and I should be doing that. And and if you're a parent, you know you enter into let's just take soccer. Soccer has the expectation of you that you will owe thousands of dollars, that you will be at every meeting, mm. that you will be at every tournament, that you, that, I mean, many weekends it was, hey, the tournament starts on Thursday and ends on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Well, what time are the games? Whenever we tell you. That, that could be half an hour before the game starts. Hey, you need to get down to this field right now. And mm. you're expected to just be waiting anxiously at your phone. For the, where the soccer game is going to be played. <laughs> the coach would know? literally send out, don't plan anything this weekend. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So uh, that in the concept that we we don't really need each other, access to each other is at an all-time high. But I heard an old friend of mine say this. I, I think it's it's similar to this scenario he painted in, in that if you're a swimmer, you're in water and surrounded by water all the time, yet you are fully dehydrated because none of it is in you. Mm. That concept haunts me uh, to think that I could be fully surrounded by something and none mm. of it's really getting inside of me. Yeah. Uh, so I have one example. I w- just, just athletics has been probably the one that has tripped me up the most uh, because I, I come from an athletic family and it was very, very important to me. And I think what we what we have in, in our concept of society is this sacred, sacred, secular divide. There's the sacred, then there's the secular. And I, I think that that is moved so far away from what is reality and that you're not trading the sacred for the secular. You're trading one God for another God, one religion for another religion, one idol for another idol. And so... Um, I read an article a few years back called Athletica, and it, it was the study of how uh, religion is decreasing in America at a consistent rate, but actually there's a religion that is growing at like exponential rate. And, and just as it applies to families, I, I just want to read just one little section of this to say like, when I read this, I thought, wow, uh, It's basically saying we must first impress outsiders studying the life of Athletica how wholeheartedly the devotion of its followers. These disciples are willing to sacrifice almost limitly where their dedication to the faith is concerned. Money, time, health, even family may all be expended for the sake of battering oneself with Athletica. And it is no exaggeration to say its members orient their lives around the strictures of the religion's demand. The youngest members of Athletica are uninitiated in their family's devotion. Athletica parents regularly begin their teaching, begin teaching their children its basic skills as soon as they are able to toddle, and some begin their benevolent indoctrination well before that by dressing their infants in tiny versions of their liturgical vestments. By age four or five, their parents have already catechized most of these youngsters in the basic tenets of Athletica. Though this pious education will continue to deepen through their family conversations, oral and written retellings of important historical moments in Athletica and an inclusion in the essential Athletica ceremonies. And there's a lot more to that, but I read that and just thought, 
I'm pretty sure my kids know athletics more than they know the Bible, hmm. more than they know most of their community is formed around athletics and not the church, not their family. And the family itself sometimes forms itself around the athletics. Hmm. So I'm scrutinizing myself here to say, it's very convicting to say the ease of these distractions that are barriers are so, the ease of entry is so easy. Yeah. But once you get into it, it demands so much of you that you feel like if I get out of this, I lose my identity, my community, my what I could become in life, and you don't know what to do anymore. And I think the you know the thing with athletics is you're not saying that they're bad. No, um, I love athletics. I think that's the that's the trick, though, right? With with this is the distraction is man, this is something that's really good. Yes. Um, but it becomes a distraction sometimes from this vision that we're talking about because of the amount of what you're saying, it demands so much from you um, that it can start to become a distraction for this vision of the family being salt and light, the family being this uh, beautiful display of the gospel. Mm. Um, What, uh, ladies, what what would you say are some of the barriers to family living out this vision of uh, the beauty of the gospel? Yeah, I think Ryan hit on the idea of competing idols. Is, is huge. And it's so, and I think one of those idols actually end up being the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's the idol of the athletics. And I know my parents did a great job like raising me and I'm so thankful. I was in all three seasons of sports in high school. And then I played club soccer on top of it. Mm-hmm. So I really got what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And we didn't sit down and eat dinner as a family. Some like most nights we weren't, mm-hmm. we weren't doing that kind of stuff. And I don't necessarily think for my parents, it was uh, the athletic uh, sport specifically, but it was me too, that mm. that I was like the idol, mm. that they wanted to give me the best and they have the best desires for me and they want to encourage me and develop my gifts. Um, so, so I think that actually a, a kind of wrong orientation of importance in the family structure can can do that as well. And then I think just on top of it, we can give our time to so many things outside of the home. And then inside the home, we give our time to the screen. Mm. And so we feel like we don't have time to really mm. develop communities with parents and, and things like that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I Screens, I think, is the easiest default and the biggest... Um, it is, it's huge. It's so easy to just turn on a movie or turn on a show or have the video games going. And for, for me, just get on Facebook and scroll through or, or doing something even that might seem good for the family. Like, I'm just looking for a new recipe on Pinterest for an hour. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, and I'm missing this very small amount of time when the kids are home and Ryan's home and I could be engaging with them. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like for so many of us in our own lives, our own barriers, they are, they're the really good things. Mm-hmm. Um, I even think about, uh, I think for me, it's the busyness that leads to just kind of at the end of the day, you're like, man, I'm tired. You know, uh, maybe, uh, 
even if it's just this 10 minutes of intentional time with our kids to have a conversation, you're like, oh man, I'm kind of tired. Maybe we'll hit that another time. Yeah. And a lot of these things, yeah, it, it's sports, it's screens, it's, it's, it's the kids. Like these are all good gifts from God, but what ends up happening if we don't have the intentionality in our families, mm-hmm. we let those things actually dictate and drive um, the formation of our family instead of saying, hey, we actually are going to be very intentional to say, it doesn't mean you can't play, you know, Mm -hmm. can't play sports or you can't, you got to get rid of all screens. We're not saying that. No. But what we're saying is uh, the intentionality in which it takes to counteract uh, how demanding those things are of us uh, is, I think, where the barrier begins to open up and, and break free to say like, yeah, you know, these things are good, but they're demanding a lot of us. And so we're not going to allow them to demand that much of us so that we can have more time. Like a lot of the things that you were talking mm-hmm. about, Janet, of the ways in which you guys have been really intentional, so much of it was just being with, right? Mm-hmm. It's the presence, the power of presence, of just being with each other. That's very simple. But uh, the barrier to that is all of these things that start to clutter up your schedule. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, we don't actually have the time now to be with each other. Yeah. Um, and so hmm. I, I think there's, for for you all who are listening, um, just a word of encouragement is, man, if that's how you're feeling, if you're feeling like, man, there's barriers, we don't have the time, mm-hmm. what you guys are talking about sounds cool, but it doesn't sound practical for us. Mm-hmm. I would say, man, there, there are uh, small shifts that you can make in order to open up the time, the space, to have the intentionality to really say, hey, we want we want our family to be shaped and formed by some other things, not just screens and athletics and and all of that. Guys, I want to say yeah. one more thing on that. It just in thinking about the Lord's prayer, just in general, mm-hmm. I, the very end of that prayer that He teaches His disciples is, "Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one." Mm-hmm. I, I've always wrestled with that part of the prayer, and I think it applies to what we're talking about here and. In that, why would God lead us into temptation? That doesn't make any sense. And why would we pray to ask him not to do that? But I think what that what he's saying in that prayer is, is just what you're saying. Like, let's take a family who feels like God has called them to be a part of a soccer team. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's God who has done that. And I believe that. I've, I've watched it happen. The part that you would pray, do not lead me into temptation, is to now make that soccer team the God. Mm. That's just something that God put you into. It's not God itself. Just remember who God is. And so if you're thinking about this, you know, you're listening to this as a, a parent or a, or a married couple, It that part of the Lord's Prayer, I, I would center and focus on that because it's made so easy for you to even have something good and that you're called to do turn into something that becomes more important than God itself. Hmm. That's good. Um, I think one of the things right now that is a a pressing question for people that the, that people are really wrestling with are questions around identity. Um, And there are some really foundational questions pertaining to identity that we as followers of Jesus need to have a kingdom perspective on which means that we need to uh, be rooted in God's word, in scripture. What, what does scripture say about this? How does it inform 
um, our views of identity. And uh, right now in our cultural moment, if we're not rooted in what the Bible says about certain things with identity, um, the world is going to shape our views. The world is going to dictate uh, what we think, what we believe, the way that we view identity. And, and that's identity pertaining to a lot of different things. And so, Ryan, I would love to just hear you uh, speak on, um, now, what are some of those issues right now pertaining to identity that uh, the world is going to shape our views on if mm. we don't have a firmly rooted, deeply rooted view of what scripture says. Yeah. I, I honestly think they're just the most foundational parts of, of humanity and being a part of a family, like Hmm. questions like, what does it mean to be a man? What Hmm. does it mean to be a woman? And on from there, the roles that we find in family that are defined throughout the scripture, what does it mean to be a father or a mother? What does it mean to be a husband or a wife? What does it mean to be a son or a daughter? Hmm. These are these are answers that we can find in the scripture. And and like you're saying, John, there are many, many people willing to define this for our kids if we don't do it for them. So if Absolutely. we just if we just assume that somehow they're just gonna figure it out, somebody's going to teach them how to figure that out. Yeah. So I think we're given the greatest opportunity to say. We want to set the tone. What is a creational norm Hmm. from the biblical story that would say what it means to be these things? Uh, If that was if that was something you struggled with growing up, I'm speaking uh, to anybody who's listening here. If you don't really know the answers to those questions, I would say there's no time like the present to pursue and press into what that means from the the, uh, from the biblical narrative. Hmm. That's good. Um, Shanae, for, for you, I know you're working with, uh, a lot of college students Mm -hmm. and young adults and, uh, working, uh, with, with folks at ASU. What, what would you say, uh, around that identity question? What are some of the things that, that you're seeing? Yeah, there's so much. Um, maybe I'll share a, a story of one of the girls, but, so I ran a discipleship group with three other or with three women from our college group. And I had prepped and I had planned and I had taught throughout the whole semester. And at the very end, one of the girls ended up sharing through tears. The most impactful thing that she had seen was how I parented Relly and my mm. husband was home too parenting her mm. during our discipleship group. And mm. it was impactful because it showed her the father's heart for his kids. Wow. Um, and so for her, it was, what does it mean to be a son or a daughter? Mm. And a lot of these students, you know, they're in their late teens, their early 20s. They're wrestling with those things because they didn't necessarily have a great home life or mm. their dad wasn't around. So they don't know what a dad is or their mom wasn't around. Um, so they don't know what, a, how a woman should act. And then on top of that, you layer in what culture says about all those things. So not only that they've had bad examples personally, but then they have these competing views coming in from the outside and cultures defining them. They don't have any good examples a mm. lot of the time. And so 
the family in the church really has an incredible opportunity, one, to shape your own kids that way, but then also to help shape the culture around us and, and the young people in our church even. Yeah, that's so good. Um, yeah, and just even hearing that story, Sinead, it's just uh, a, a few minutes ago when we were talking about just really displaying the power of, and the power and the beauty of the gospel within a family of just hearing how that, how that young girl uh, was so struck by the way that you were parenting. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really what hit her mm-hmm. of like, man, that, that's, that's the invitation that we have as families that we actually get to display the beauty of the gospel to, to show the very heart mm-hmm. of God uh, to the watching world, which is, yeah, I love that story. Mm-hmm. Um, so with everything we're talking about uh, for families at Redemption Tempe, we know not everybody uh, has kids, not everybody's married, but everybody's a part of a family mm-hmm. at least. Yeah. Um, and so Ryan, like, you are the pastor who oversees everything that we're doing with families, with marriages. I would love for you to share, like, what is your prayer for mm-hmm. families at Redemption Tempe? Yeah, I, I think in the most foundational level, I, I think I would want marriages and families to realize you're in something that God himself has created for his purposes hmm. for a couple reasons. Number one, to display the gospel to the world. I think you find father, son, mother, uh, uh, those kind of languages, even the language of two becoming one flesh throughout the scripture is used to describe what the gospel is. So to realize that you're part of something that is actually mirroring or reflecting what God created to show what the gospel is like. Hmm. So if, if families could understand anything, your marriage, your family, isn't just something that you have to do. You need to put up with, you need to find out the right or wrong way to do it. But more what you're doing is supposed to reflect what the kingdom of God itself looks like. There, mm. in, in my opinion, in our culture, there hasn't been a greater opportunity in our Western culture than for the family to be an example of what the kingdom of God looks like. So just, just if I could pray for families, and I do, I pray this all the time, just that they would get that that is the reality of their family. So that when they think about what it would mean to divide their family, to take an argument too far, to idolize something that's outside of the the kingdom of God, that has implications for generations. As, As a person coming from a divorced family, Janet comes from a divorced family, we realize the effects that that Hmm. has. Uh, And and my family is a good family. I, I, I mean... But that has had an effect on me all my life. To see a picture of what the gospel looks like through a family, I think has profound effects on this culture. Uh, Like we were saying earlier, when Janet said, when somebody comes to our house, if they could for a moment feel what it feels like to be welcomed, accepted, loved, Hmm. uh, part of something that's different than what they're experiencing out there, I think at a foundational level, everybody's yearning for that. Yeah. So if we could be that with each other and then to each other, that would be extremely uh, 
awesome, in my opinion. That's great, man. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so for folks who are listening, who are saying, man, uh, this sounds great, um, but this is really hard to do on our own. Um, I think that the reality for all of us, even sitting around the table, we would say, yeah, it is. It's really hard to do on your own. Um, we need each other. We need community. And um, I, man, I would just love to ask, uh, how would you encourage families to get into community um, and specifically not try to go it alone um, with everything we're talking about? Um, yeah, what would you say to folks? And just as an encouragement, and this is for, for all of you, what, what would your encouragement be for folks listening to get into community um, and not try to do it on their own? Um, I think, again, it's intentionality of we, we kind of looked for families and we still do this that we feel like we could fit with. I've heard people say, oh, you know, couples will kind of date each other and see if it's <laughs> fun to hang out. But we, we, whether, I mean, some of our best friends that we've been friends with, um, family of, of seven, and we have our family of six, we met on the sidelines of a soccer game mm. and realized our kids were on the same, some of the same teams. And we've gone on vacation with them several times. We've, um, and it just, it just became, hey, you guys want to come over to our house for dinner when we can do it. And then the next time we went to their house and vice, and we've been doing that for seven years. Yeah. And that's several of several of other families that even the family we went on our sabbatical with and stayed with in Tennessee where um, we became friends with because our daughters hit it off at their enrichment program. And we got together on spring break and we became, we've become very close friends four years later. Yeah. You know? Hmm. Um, yeah, I just jotted down four things, uh, for our family, we have like non-negotiables. And so being in community is the non-negotiable mm. and, and particularly Christian community. Mm. Um, and so that means being part of a, a small group, um, mm. or at least regularly meeting with other couples. Um, yeah. so that's a non-negotiable for us. Another one. And, and this is kind of like once you get into community or you meet people, um, vulnerability. I think it's really scary for people now, particularly probably because of the screen and how we communicate. We don't know how to communicate, and it feels really scary. And so I would encourage people in the body of Christ to choose to be vulnerable. Mm. Um, and that means coming to people who who are trustworthy. So <laughs> don't just like— um, but, um, yeah, coming to people with, with the issues that you're having in your marriage to labor on alongside with each other and, and to get prayer or how you're parenting your kids, like being open and honest and walking through life with those, those people. I would say, um, another thing is it is awesome when you find, I think we were talking about this the other day, Janet, when you find people that you just naturally connect with, like the husbands get along and the wives get along and your best friends. But the reality is, is that doesn't happen all of the time. One of them clicks and then the other one doesn't. And so what do you do with that? And I think one of the things is um, to fight through the differences, that there's real value in those relationships that maybe don't come as easy. Um, yeah. 
And then the other thing that I would say, and I've been a part of a lot of different communities because I've had to move around a lot, is just to give it time. Like, mm. give time for these relationships to develop before you choose to not be a part of it. Mm. Because it's hard work sometimes. But eventually, I think we, we do reap family mm. in the kingdom of God when we really try to. Yeah, that's really good. Um, really good. Mm. Ryan, as we close out— uh, Man, for people listening, um, where can they learn more about what you're doing? Family ministry here, family nights, parent gatherings. And then I know that you and I have been talking through and just started launching uh, yeah. family RCs, redemption yeah. communities for families. Yeah. And where can people uh, learn more about that? Yeah, I mean, the the very easiest way is come join us for one of our parent gatherings, which is the second Sunday of every month. We have them during the 11 o'clock service. Um, we have breakfast together. We spend a lot of time just hanging out with one another. And then we tend to address, uh, very specific cultural topics in, in those meetings. I I think the places you can find out about that is there, they're definitely, you can find out about it on our website, on the app. It's all over our social media stuff. If you can't figure it out, go on the app or the website find my contact information and then just email me and I'll help you out personally. But as far as the redemption communities for families, I I, I think that's something that we're pressing into uh, kind of on the level that, that Shanae was talking about. I, I just highlighting the vulnerability and, and the give it time aspect. Like um, I think if you, if you, there's, there's a lot of areas ports of entry in, in our church right now. But when we talk about family communities, I think we're talking about more of a long-term view on yeah. that than we are just, hey, come be a part of some social club that gets your needs met, you know? Yeah. And I know we don't view community like that at all, but I think a lot of us as parents and families and even, you know, single people are constantly thinking, where could I go to get my social needs met? That's not really what we're talking about, although that will be a byproduct of it. We're more talking about take the time to find out what it means to enter into a community where you are vulnerable, where you do share your life with somebody, where it's not a large crowd, but a group of people that you've chosen to do that with. It, it limits the size of you know, the amount of people that you can do that with. Yeah. So just to reiterate, the parent gatherings are a great place to start. And, and if you need to get connected, check the app and the website. Yeah. And one of the things that I love about uh, the areas of our church that you're leading and shepherding is uh, you really believe this vision um, that we've been talking about on this podcast, um, that, that families are formative communities. And what you have done so well and your heart behind the parent gatherings and marriage nights is really to try to equip people and disciple them, to give them the tools and resources so that they can be um, a community that lives out the beauty of the gospel. And so um, with that, I want to thank you all for listening. Ryan, thanks for being on here. Janet, thanks for being on here. And Shanae, really appreciate you guys taking time out to uh, contribute to this podcast. And thanks for listening. Until next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the All of Life podcast. To get more information on Redemption Church Tempe, you can download the Redemption Tempe app 
or you can send an email to tempe at redemptionaz.com. 